Reverend Martin, God bless you. Thank Thanks you. very much. Oops. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn please to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. It's the chapter 29, the book of Proverbs and the chapter 29. Just as you're finding the place, I'd like to concur with the words of welcome that you have received from your own minister. Uh, he has ably welcomed folks into this house from the pulpit. He hasn't missed you. I believe that he has made it pointed and direct. And uh, I do feel that you have felt the warmth of welcome. And afterward, there's been individuals who have come up to visitors and uh, especially welcomed them. And we're so grateful for the hospitality shown by God's people here in the congregation. And I would like just to emphasize how deeply appreciative we are of those who have attended this mission. I want to thank you sincerely. There's some folks perhaps not present tonight who have supported the meetings and come and join with us in the prayer times as well. I'd like to say a special word of thanks to those who prayed, uh, some at 12 noon through the campaign and others through the day. And we had our half hour or so, sometimes an hour of prayer beforehand. And God's people were very faithful in seeking the Lord's face. We've had some wonderful seasons of prayer. And I do believe the Lord has given to us that which we do not possess naturally. And that is the spirit of believing prayer. I'd also like to thank those who did the outreach. How grateful we are for that. That's right. And then we're not unmindful of individuals who have helped out in these meetings. The organists have been mentioned and the singers, uh, Brother Sam tonight especially, uh, a token for good in ministry and for those who came to testify. Uh, we believe the Lord was with them and certainly we appreciate their support and help in ministry. Uh, there's only one person David actually forgot to thank and that was himself and he wouldn't have liked to have done that anyway. Right. Uh, but he, uh, he has led these meetings very ably I think. You don't work off notes when you're leading meetings. It's ad living all the time, but I do believe he's been in the spirit. I do believe that the Lord has been with him. <clears throat> he certainly has made it easy for me to get up after him and to preach the word. So, David, I thank you sincerely for your fellowship. It's good to renew fellowship with our brother and the folks here in Carrie Duff. I'd like to say a personal word of thanks for I fed every single night in this house. A special word of thanks to Rosemary. She probably doesn't want me to say that. And other folks who helped with the suppers, uh, we certainly fared sumptuously. They may not have been dressed in purple and fine linen, as we were reading in Luke 16 today in McShane's readings, but nevertheless, we certainly did fare sumptuously. So a word of thanks to all who helped with that. Um, we're not unmindful of giving God thanks. Amen. During the entire campaign and the days and weeks and even months leading up to it, uh, there has been a spirit of anticipation on the hearts of God's people. I do believe that the Lord has been with us. Amen. He has given help. I do believe in my heart the Lord has given power to preach. And as a preacher, I am so thankful to the Lord for giving to me help to minister his precious word. And we have had the Lord's presence. I felt the Lord's presence here. In those prayer times, I can tell you I was loath to let him go right. and leave the place <clears throat> but we're thankful the Lord went before us Amen. and the Lord has been with us in these meetings and we do believe God has worked. Amen. And we will yet see the fruit of our yes. labour. So we're waiting on the Lord and salvation <coughs> is of the Lord. Right. Now God is working. So we go softly, we tread carefully 
And in all things we seek to give the glory to our God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, the sole King, the only head of the church. So we thank you sincerely for your support and we pray that the work will continue and God will richly bless the congregation here in Carrie Duff. You'll be on my heart, on my mind, and this mission will be in my memory for a very long time. And we trust the Lord will bless you as you take the work of the Lord forward. It's just one verse of scripture I'd like to close the gospel campaign with. It's found in Proverbs 29 and verse 1. And there we read, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Let me give you the text. If you get nothing else, get the text of Scripture. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Let's just keep our Bibles open, please. Our finger upon that text of Scripture. We'll ask help of God in the ministry of his word. Father in heaven, we just publicly want to acknowledge thee. Lord, I have stood in this pulpit and publicly I've asked thee for help to preach. And Lord, thou hast answered prayer, I believe. I felt within my own soul and spirit the hand of God upon me. I felt, Lord, the infilling of the Spirit. I believe in my own soul that I've been given liberty and power to preach thy word. And, Lord, it's not of myself I acknowledge thee. And publicly, since I have asked thee, publicly I return thanks to thee. Thank thee, Lord, for the mission, for thy presence and blessing, for the work that thou hast done and art still doing and will perfect. And we believe, Lord, we will see the fruit of our labour. We believe, Lord, souls will come. We believe, Lord, already thou art working. Lord, have thine own way and perfect work and save the lost, restore the backslidden and revive the church here and encourage thy people. And loving Father, on this final night of the gospel mission, I stand forth once again as a preacher of thy word as a candidate for the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray, Lord, for the infilling with wisdom and power, for that endowment of power from on high. Lord, thou did say even to thy disciples, and I take thee at thy word, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Father in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask now for the infilling, of the Spirit of the living God. Enable me, O God, as thy servant to preach thy word and rightly divide the word of truth. Give to me wisdom and power now. And Father, in answer to prayer, glorify thy Son. We ask these things believing in Jesus' precious and worthy name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. In gospel missions that have been conducted across our province over a number of years, I've had the privilege to talk to some of the evangelists. I remember speaking recently to a Baptist pastor who was uh, doing a gospel campaign. He phoned me up. I was doing one at the same time. And he was asking me, well, is there any break in your meetings? And I said, not as yet. And he spoke to me of many missions that he had conducted. And he says, did you ever think of what God has been doing in some of those missions? We reflected upon the gospel campaigns that we've been involved in 
And both of us arrived at a similar conclusion. We're not saying this is a hard and fast rule. We're not shutting God into this scheme of working. Not at all. God is sovereign and he can save who and when he likes. But we're thinking of individuals who were converted in some of those missions. Some of them came into meetings for the very first time. They were saved by the grace of God. Others had been in but a few times with little exposure to the gospel. They were sensitive to the strivings of the Spirit and eventually, before that mission closed, those individuals came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own and personal Saviour. But one thing that we did remark upon, and it was this, that there were individuals who have attended gospel meetings and missions for years and they still sit unmoved. It's as if they're hardened in their heart. It's as if their minds can no longer be moved. Their sensitivities seem to be callous. It seems that they're encased with such a hardness that the gospel bounces off them now. I'm not saying that's the case for every individual. I can give you illustrations in our own church, which is the best place, by the way, to get your illustrations. We had, and I'll give you exactly what I mean. We had recently a young fella come into our meetings. His father, Paul King, uh, was a saved man. He sits in a wheelchair, comes in every Sunday morning. His son, uh, because he's in the wheelchair, he has to come to church with him. He never had any gospel exposure. He never went to church. The only time he came to church was because he had to drive the van with the father in the wheelchair and get him to church. And as a result of that, just coming for a few Sundays, he came under conviction for sin. I was doing the mission just, I think it was September in Port of Ogie. And on my way home one Monday night, I got this text message. I don't think I, I uh, was driving at the same time, by the way, just in case there's a policeman in here. And I got this text message as I was getting into the car before I left the car park. And it said this, I need to see you as soon as possible. Now, I knew he was a young fella who was in trouble. And my first thoughts were this, oh no, knowing the trouble that I knew he was in, I'll have to go with him to try and sort this mess out and I didn't want to go. I sent a text back before I left the car park and uh, before he even texted, I decided they would use the Bluetooth. You see where I'm keeping myself right here? And I would speak to him going down the road and he said to me these words, I need to see you but he never told me what it was. I cut a long story short. I went round to his house the next day. I arrived in his house. He was sitting there and he was on his own. And as I came in, I was waiting for this story, an absolute horrendous story. And here's what he says to me. I need to get saved. Amen. I couldn't believe it. Now, I mean that. I just looked at him. My first thoughts were, he's making a fool out of me here. <laughs> he's not wanting to get saved. But he was. Amen. And God had been dealing with him for four weeks. But he had no gospel exposure. He hadn't sat for meeting after meeting, mission after mission. He was fresh into the church. And he was saved. Very soon after, he started to attend. He's still coming to our church. He's attending the prayer meetings now. And the Bible study. 
And he got up on our watch night service and gave a personal word of testimony and said where he was. If I was to give you his history, you wouldn't believe that he was standing in the church giving his testimony, such as the grace of God in the conversion of a sinner. We had another young man come in as a direct result of outreach. Now we had gone. And we had cast the net in that area many a time. I go down those streets and avenues and crescents and those parks and those estates and those private de developments. And I go into those places and as I go, here's what I say to the Lord. Lord, we have toiled here before and we have taken nothing. But we're going at thy word to cast the net again. And this young fella, as a direct result of the outreach, was brought into our meetings and he came to those meetings and he started to attend. And one Sunday night he says, I need to speak to you. And there was a big crowd about the place. I took him into the cry room. It's a nice place to counsel a soul, you know, in the cry room, crying tears of repentance. And he says, look, I made a profession many years ago. I'm going nowhere with God. But the Lord has spoken to me as I've come to this place. And he came to know the Lord as his own and personal saviour. And I'm telling you, there were fresh people who came in. But in our church in Lisburn, as in many churches, there are individuals, not them all, individuals who have sat for years and they've never been moved under the sound of faithful gospel preaching. That's not to say that they cannot be saved. They can. That's not to say they will never be saved. We could never say that God is sovereign. In fact, we had a, a couple just last year. I went to visit them. I can't exactly say when it was. It could have been round about maybe May of last year or maybe June. But as I went to visit, I sat in their room and as I was chatting to them, they had come to our church for over 40 years. They sat in that church, David and May Friars, husband and wife. And for all those years, we thought they were saved. They never gave any other impression that they were saved. But I discovered, because a young student helping me visited with them and asked them, how did they get saved? And they said to him, shocked to us all, we're not saved. And when I went round to the house, I thought, Lord, how, how could I get this around to challenge them about the Lord? And as we were chatting, they were talking about how long they were married. And I thought, I've got an opening. I've got an opening. I said, well, tell me this then. You must have started to attend our church shortly after you got married. That's right. We left the Presbyterian church and we came here. Then I said to them, that's right. So you came here. Well, tell me this then. You're saved. You're saved. And I just got in with it. And the two of them looked at me and they says, no, no, we're not. My first words to them were this. I visited in this home for 19 years. And I'd like to apologize to you too. Because I thought you were saved. And every reading I have given to you and every prayer I've offered, it's been because I believed you were saved. But I'll tell you this, David, May, over 40 years coming to our church, do you ever think about getting saved? Two of them just kept quiet. And I spoke to them about the Lord. Began to urge upon them the need to get saved. I, I've never had a more intimate time with two people in my life. Just sitting in their living room. But I could see the Spirit of God before me working. It's unbelievable. I could see the Lord breaking them. And I began to speak to them. And I wasn't sure whether I should press it a little more. It's hard to know what to do. Sometimes you just don't know. Have I gone too far? 
What will I chase them away? Should I leave it now? Should I just say, I'll go out and if you want me, give me a ring. But I left them. I left them with how they could get saved. I left them. Do you know you need to be saved? They said yes. Then I left them how they can get saved. I told them before I left, this is how you can get saved. And as I was closing in prayer, David began to cry. And he began to weep and weep. And his wife got up, sat beside him, put her arms around him. And by the way, I was still praying. I was afraid to stop praying because I was thinking, he's crying because of some of the things that I've said. He's crying because I said to his wife, now listen, if David gets saved and you don't, if David dies and goes to heaven, you'll never, you'll never see him again. And I thought, I've gone too far with this. And I prayed on because I was praying. As I was praying, I was praying to the Lord in two ways. One publicly, audibly, and one silently. One prayer was coming out of my mouth and another was coming from my soul and spirit. Lord, help me. What have I done? When I finished, David couldn't even speak. Cut a long story short. I says to David, David, what's your problem? He looked over at his wife who had taken her seat by that time. And here's what he said. He says, may I want you to come with me now to Christ. And she says, David, I will. And the two of them in their living room bowed their hearts. And you know something? They told me that in 50 odd years of marriage, the next day was the first day the two of them read their Bible together. They said they never once prayed together. But that day was the first time. And they don't keep too well. But they've hardly missed a meeting since they got converted. And they told Dr. Douglas at the door, we can't believe what's happened to our home. And we're so thankful that we have got the matter settled and that we're saved. And they're telling people, and we're so thankful to what the Lord has done for souls. But I will say to you that the majority of those people that are getting converted, they're young people. They're fresh people that are just brought in. But sadly and worryingly, the truth is that many people who have sat for years, and by the way, it's not them all, because I've heard recently of individuals coming to Christ who have sat for years under the sound of the gospel. But what I'm troubled about is this. There are individuals who I believe are hardening their hearts. And they can sit in any gospel meeting and go out unconcerned, not troubled. They have no anxiety about sin, about heaven, hell. It seems they can sit carelessly without any thought of their soul in gospel missions and gospel meetings. And whenever you have a concerted effort, whenever you have an intensified desire among God's people to meet for prayer and go into the district and to give out invitations and to plead with people to come to meetings and in meetings to plead with them through singing testimony and preaching to come to Christ and trust the Lord and they don't do it I'm troubled I'm concerned and when God is working and he is and the spirit's striving and we know he is I'm concerned that individuals have yet to respond to the free offer of the gospel they have yet to turn from their sin and look alone to Christ who alone can save they've never even given serious thought to their soul's salvation. Oh, how can you say that, preacher? Because if you had, you'd be saved right away. You would know the awful hell that awaits a Christ rejecter's life. 
You would know for sure, as David said, singing that hymn, that the way of the cross, the finished work, the precious shed blood, the sacrifice once for all for sin, the giving of Christ's life and substitutionary death is your only hope for heaven. You would flee to the cross. You would look to Christ. You would receive him into your heart. I've asked the question before God. How are we to interpret what is happening in gospel missions? When individuals who have sat for years have never come to Christ. Well, I'll tell you what I believe is happening. Although I'm not an infallible interpreter of divine providence, I acknowledge that. But I believe without a doubt, individuals are stiffening the neck. They're hardening their hearts. They're getting to a place whereby they've resisted the truth of God for years. They have stifled for conviction in every meeting they've been to. They have shunned God's free offer of mercy in the gospel. And they have literally switched off. They've become gospel hardened. It's as though they have a heart of stone. They're dull of hearing. It's as though their sensitivity to the gospel has been encased in such a rejection of the Lord that they could not and they will not look to him, turn to him. It's as though they're content to be as they are. And my fear is this. They're getting to the place that the Bible calls very near past feeling. That is, they are literally callous, past feeling. It's as though there's a spiritual numbness. And when we try to prick their conscience with truth, they don't feel it. When we try, as it were, with the needle, fine needle of truth, to pierce that flesh and soul, it's as though they feel nothing. There's nothing there. You know when a man or a woman, and it could even happen to a young person, has heard the gospel and been privileged to hear it time and time again and have resisted it and rejected it and refused it, there certainly comes a time whenever the Spirit of God stops striving and I'm troubled and I'm anxious that the Spirit of God who is striving, who is working, who is wooing, who is winning, and the Spirit of God alone can save. It's only the Spirit of God that convicts of sin. It's not the preacher. It's not this church. It's not a single man here or a woman in their prayers that convicts of sin. We ask the Lord to do that work and he does that work. And I'm saying to you, if a person cannot be saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart, when he's striving and they resist that Spirit and he stops working, then they cannot be saved. And in prayer it was quoted about the text. We preached on it and touched on it in the mission. The harvest passed. The summer ended. We're not saved. And the literal Hebrew there is, we cannot be saved. We've missed it. And I'm not saying for one moment that I'm going to use some scare tactic in the mission to frighten someone into being saved. To scare someone to Christ. I'm not saying I'm going to do that. But I will warn individuals. That when God speaks, we should obey. When he commands repentance, we should repent. When he commands belief in Christ for salvation, we should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. 
And I do believe in my heart when the Spirit ceases to knock at the heart's door, when the Spirit of God stops striving with the conscience, when the Holy Ghost finishes with a sinner, they become what the Scripture says, heart of, of heart, and they're suddenly destroyed, and that without remedy. I said to you in the mission, I'll say it again tonight, the lights in this house and in this place will go out tonight. They don't go out forever. The meetings continue on a regular basis. But as far as the mission is concerned, yes. as far as this effort that these folks have been making for your soul and others, in a sense, <coughs> that light of opportunity goes out. And quite often when the door of mercy swung open and it closes in a gospel mission, a death angel comes to the, the area. It visits the place. And we should earnestly engage the Lord in prayer for mercy. For this district. For this area. For individuals whom we've asked and have come in. But as yet haven't come to the Lord. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Be a terrible thing for one to be continually reproved. Hardening their neck. And then suddenly destroyed. And not without remedy. I believe the text before us tonight is a solemn and a very serious text to close a gospel mission with. It's not the preacher's choice tonight. I believe it's heaven's voice. Let me get to the text right away because I'm convinced there is a line by us unseen. It crosses every path. It's the hidden boundary between God's mercy, you're saved by grace alone. God's wrath, you're lost in hell for all eternity. I'm convinced that the the, the very hymn that we could even sing tonight if we wanted. Sinner, sinner, the Savior is waiting for you. The Savior is calling for you. And it seems that you are to be encouraged in the hymn to steer for the harbor light. For how do you know? But your soul may be drifting over the deadline tonight. This could be it, my friend. God's final call. He that being often reproved. Hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. We heard that. I preached on it. No redemption. No salvation. After a man or woman, young person dies without Christ. Let's come to the text very quickly. I want you to notice from this text of scripture. The Savior's tender reproofs. He that being often reproved. Underline those words. The Savior's tender reproofs. He that being often reproved. You know what a mercy from the Lord that he would even begin to focus his attention upon an individual. If the Lord was only to reprove us once for sin. And warn us of hell. And tell us of heaven and how to get there through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. If that was only once you ever heard that. You're the most privileged individual on God's created earth you know. To have such knowledge of God's plan of salvation. To be told by the Almighty that you're a sinner. Lost. Bound for hell. And then shown his love and mercy in Christ his son. Who came into this world. God veiled in human flesh. Living a sinlessly perfect life. And dying on the cross as a substitute for sinners. For guilty sinners like you and me. It would be a mercy from God if he was to reprove you just the once. If he was to warn you just the once. If he was to send his word to you tonight for the first time. And you ever heard the gospel was tonight. And God warned you, you would be the most privileged individual. 
on God's created planet. Be it I'm convinced there are many in this mission and have attended this mission and maybe in tonight. And God has spoken to you many a time. And you know full well the Lord has been speaking to you. Sure. You know it. And even tonight you're sitting here. God's speaking to you. I want you to notice here not only the Saviour's tender reproof, but under that, notice the focus of his reproof. You know the word he here in the Hebrew, the original language, and I borrow my knowledge, believe me. It literally means the man of reproofs. It's an individual whom God singles out. And because the word reproof is used with this person, it implies that this person is in danger. God is reproving that man. God is reproving that woman. God is chastening. God is warning. God has his focus on that individual. And that's a mercy from God. That's why I said to you, look at the Savior's tender reproof that he would focus his attention on a guilty, lost, hell-deserving sinner. And if some of us were God, let's be honest, and I'm sure when you heard my testimony, if you were God, you would not have saved me. And if I were God, there are many other people I believe in my heart I would never look toward, never warn, never tell. But the Lord focuses his attention on the individual. And the word here is the man of reproofs. That's the literal rending of that word he. You could literally rewrite this. I'm not telling you to change your Bible, by the way. But you could. And you would be correct. And you would be literal. The man of many reproofs. Who hardens his neck. That's what it literally means. The man of reproofs. And here the Lord is gracious and gentle. Merciful and kind. And he warns us of the danger we're in. And he does so in many ways. Through his word. Through preaching. And for the work of the Holy Spirit upon the conscience. And even the life of other Christians. And even your own guilt within. Warning you. Reproving you. God is gracious to you. He's telling you about that awful place called hell. You're not in the dark tonight. You cannot plead ignorance. You cannot say, I didn't know about hell. You did. And if you didn't know about it, you know about it now. There is a place called hell. And listen to me. Hell was prepared for the devil who rebelled against God and sinned against God. And those created angels that fell with Lucifer, hell was created by God. God created hell. And he did so for the devil and his angels. And then the Bible says, it makes it clear, the nations that forget God shall be cast into hell. It is a prepared place. And as our brother David says on that day, as our brother was singing, what will you do with Jesus? When we turned around, what will he do with me? Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And God focuses attention and missions and meetings like this upon you. To warn you. To tell you. What a God of love. What a God of mercy. What a God of grace. What a God of goodness. What a God of gentleness and kindness. Surely they are the attributes of our God. He is not a monster. He is not some mean ogre sitting in the clouds. Uh, literally careless of what's going on in the lives of individuals. No, God sees you and he focuses his attention on you and he reproves you. 
And he singles out the sinner who's in danger of perishing. And the Bible makes it clear that he's not willing that any should perish, but that they should come in repentance and faith to Christ. But notice not only the frequency of the Savior's tender, or focus of the tender reproofs. Notice the frequency, being often. And I'm convinced there are individuals here, and listen to me, God has reproved you. Do you know his providential dealings in the earth reprove men? The time whenever the plane comes out of the sky and those hundreds of people are killed. They are God's warnings to you. Those people are not bigger sinners than you are or that I am. Do you know that ship that's lost at sea and all those hundreds of lives that are drowned in a watery grave and their souls are taken out into God's eternity? They're not bigger sinners than you. They're not suffering the judgment of God. Listen, Luke 13 makes it clear, unless God shows us otherwise, that except you repent, ye shall likewise perish. That could have happened to you. Those providential dealings, your life was spared. That car crash last week could have been you. That accident at work could have been you. That cancer in the body could have been you. That death, and we've heard many of them, those funerals could have been yours. Oh, the frequency of God's reproofs. You know, he deals with us through his ministers. How many preachers have you heard? If you say, well, I just attend a church and he's a dead preacher or she's a dead preacher and they never preach the gospel and have never had exposure, but I don't believe for one moment a person coming in to carry duff would ever be able to say, at least on a Sunday night, they've never heard the gospel. I'm convinced even if David wasn't here, some other free Presbyterian or some people outside of our own denomination coming here faithful would preach the gospel. That's right. And even if you weren't attending a free Presbyterian mission, I'm convinced in many other missions you would hear the gospel. You may even hear it better preached than it is in this house and that's me I'm talking about, not David. You make that clear, brother? Do you hear that now? now I'm telling you, you've heard it. You've heard it time and time again. His ministers reprove you, and furthermore, his word reproves you, doesn't it? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For reproof. Oh, the frequency of God's reproofs. Did you not know it was the Lord? Did you not perceive it's God speaking to me? Oh, the Savior's tender reproofs. Oh, what about death around you? What about sickness around you? What about your own financial difficulties? What about your own problems health-wise? What about all those difficulties you're facing? They're getting your mind off material things. They're making you think once again of your soul. They're making you think about heaven and hell. You're getting older. Yes, you're not getting any younger. People around you are dying. They're speaking to you. Their death is a voice to you that one day you will go the way of all the living. How many times does the Lord have to speak? How many times, how much more does he have to do that you might come to Christ? The Saviour's tender reproofs. Notice secondly, I'm moving quickly, believe me. Notice the sinner's thankless response. Look what it says here in the text. Hardeneth his neck. He that being often reproved. There's the Saviour's tenderness and grace. But look at the sinner's response. He hardens his neck. The illustration, every commentator I've read, they've all said this is the illustration. This is what the man wants us to know. It's the illustration of the bullock. It's the old wooden yoke that goes around the bullock's neck. 
And this hardening of the neck is literally the young bullock is taken in. The yoke is put upon that bullock and another one. And that bullock's easily steered. you know why? Because the yoke begins to move on its neck and it causes what is known as the friction burn. The friction burn. And it begins to literally become an open wound. And if the bullock's not pulling in the right direction and going in the way that it should by being yoked and moved by the reins in the hands of the one plying. That bullock soon learns the friction burn, the pull on the cut sore. You know what it's like? It's like the young fella and he's the apprentice and he goes into the workplace or onto the building site and they say to him, right, I want you to lift some of those bricks and that rubbish cleared away. And he says, I don't need those gloves. You know, the hard men that you have young people today. I'm all right. My hands are like steam. After a few days, he comes home to his mama. Mommy, look at that. Blisters are now they're burst and they're red sore. And the mommy, she comes and she tends to them. And he's like this. And he comes in the next day and he says, I can lift no more bricks. Is there any light duties that I can do? Not in the building site, son. It'll harden you. But then suddenly what happens? Now this is true. They become callous. Hard. And this is true. I could tell you who works in an office in this house. I could tell you who washes dishes at home and who doesn't. I could tell you who works in a farm and a building site. Do you know how? Just by shaking your hand at the door. And I'm not joking. You know those that are hard working. You know those hands are like sandpaper. That's just the women. The men's hands are worse than that. Now I shake hands at the door and I've shaken, and like the Reverend Barnes and the Reverend McLaughlin and others that were here, we've shaken many hands and I can tell you something, it's like shaking sandpaper. You just have to look up and you go, there's a worker. And then you've got this here really hand that's full of moisturiser. And you go like that there and he just slides out of the hand. And if it's Graham Strong, he just grips you and you never let you go. And they're just, they're, there's, there's like a wee fishy handshake. Like an eel, you just slide out of it, moisturised and all manicured. And they don't believe those ladies have even washed the dish. I believe they've been put into literally the uh, new dishwasher and their hands just hasn't got. But what I will say this to you, they become callous, don't they? And do you know what it is, the stiffening of the neck? You ever seen someone with a stiff neck? It's a terrible thing. If you were to drive home tonight, don't do it. And your window was down of your car. And you were driving home and you got a drop in your neck. And you say, oh, the car's too warm and the wife wants the heater on. Well, you can have it on. I want the window down. And there it is. But see, tomorrow morning, you'll not be able to move. You'll get out of bed and you go, oh. And here's the way you'd be in work. Oh, you'd have to, your whole body has to turn. You literally can't go like that or like that. You'll have to go, oh, and turn the whole body. It's what is known as stiff neck. What is wrong with someone who's got a stiff neck? Well, I tell you what's wrong. Standing in one position, they can't turn. See, they can't turn. And the Bible means of a sinner who's stiff-necked, who's hardened his heart, whose neck has been hardened. He can't turn from his sin. He can't turn to the Lord. That's what the illustration is here. He's become so callous. I remember hearing the Reverend John Morrow preach at a gospel tent mission in Lurgan many, many years ago, and he gave a powerful illustration of the blacksmith shop. 
And he says, there was the blacksmith. He took the hot iron out of the furnace. He took the hammer, put it on the anvil, and he hit it a, a bang. And the sparks flew everywhere. And the little pup that he had just bought, it run out of the blacksmith's shop and couldn't be found for ages. It scared the living daylights out of it. He brought the little dog in again, sat beside the anvil, and he came along the next day and did the same thing. And the dog, the sparks touched it, the singed the little bits of hair on the body, and it run out again. But eventually, the dog came back in. It wasn't too long. After a few years, when someone came into the blacksmith shop, the dog was sitting there, right beside the anvil. And there was the blacksmith. He took the, the iron and he hit it a bang and the sparks landed on the dog. And the dog's hairs were continually singed. There were little japs across that dog's back where you could see there was no physical hair. And the skin had become callous. And the dog just sat there, unmoved. But I'm telling you, here's the illustration. That whenever you first come to hear the gospel sinner, you're troubled at night. You're like the dog you'd run. It frightens you, it scares you. You know things aren't well. But then suddenly you begin to harden your heart. You begin to think, well, I'm all right. God didn't take me out last Sunday night. Sure, I got into the car park and drove home and nothing happened to me. These things mustn't be true. So you begin to harden your heart. And your sensitivity to the gospel becomes hardened, encased, until at length, you become what the Bible calls past feeling. That literally means it's as though you cannot be reached, touched or moved upon. When years previous, you'd have gone home and shed tears. You'd have said, I need to get back to those meetings. I need to come again. I need to hear that gospel again. Oh, I know there's something wrong with me. I need to sort matters out. But you let it go. You refuse to come. And then the years go on. And suddenly you find yourself coming into meetings. And you say, you're right, preacher. I'm not moved the way I used to be. In fact, I can come and go. It's as if it just bounces off me. And listen, not only would you be worried, but we're troubled for you. But the fact that you're here tonight. And the fact that others have come shows to me you haven't passed the line. God is still working. You may be close, but you're not over the line tonight. The fact that you're here because once you get past feeling, you'll never be here. Once the Spirit of God stops striving, do you know something? You will never have any concern for your soul. You will never attend a gospel meeting ever again. I want to move on quickly for my time is gone. I have more things to say there, but I'm not going to do it. But I move on to my final thought. The Saviour's tender reproofs, the sinner's thankless response. Notice the final thought here. The sinner's terrible retribution shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. It's sudden. It literally is taken like in the snare. It's like the animal walking through the forest and the snare, the trap, the gin is placed and camouflaged. And all of a sudden that animal in the prime of its life maybe, that animal that's out looking for prey, that animal that's out in the forest with freedom and liberty suddenly comes upon the snare and there it is buried and bam! They're caught in the trap. They're finished. They're killed. It's over. And that's exactly what Ecclesiastes 9.12 tells us. And it's sudden, shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And it's solemn because it's without remedy. It's without remedy. That is, when a person dies without Christ, for all eternity they live without Christ. Did you know, and I'll finish here, did you know there's a, such a thing in the Bible called a judgment in time? 
If you're reading your Bible in your regular study of Scripture and you're reading the Bible, you will discover this. It's on the surface. You don't have to dig deep. It's on the surface. It's what is known as a judgment in kind. That is, when a sinner does something, God judges them in kind in relation to what they have done. For instance, if a sinner dies and they've rejected the Lord, the Lord rejects them. If a sinner dies and they refuse the offer of mercy, God never gives them the offer again. It's what is known as a judgment in kind. The same type of sin. The judgment follows. That is, refuse the Lord and he refuses you mercy. Reject the Lord, he rejects you. If you die in your sin, you remain in your sin. It's a judgment in kind. You ever remember the proverb that says, where the tree, the tree falleth to the north or to the south, there it will lie. It's a picture not of a tree falling, decaying and rotting. It's a spiritual picture of a sinner. If they die without Christ, what's the judgment in kind? Without Christ, they'll be for all eternity. If they die without mercy, they're without mercy for all eternity. If they die without God, without hope and without blood and without salvation, they remain without God, without hope and without blood and salvation for all eternity. <coughs> it's a judgment in kind shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Oh, sinner, you're marching in your sin to a lost eternity. And God is speaking to your heart in the final meeting. And as yet you've never come to Christ. You've never trusted Christ. He can save you tonight. He can forgive you tonight. He can wash you in his blood tonight. He can deliver your soul tonight. But you must come. You must trust Christ. You must repent. You must believe the gospel. You must realize not only you're a sinner, but Christ died for sinners. He shed his blood to put away sin. He's offered to God on your behalf. Think of it. On your behalf, a payment for all your sin. All your sins. Laid on him. He became the substitute. He died on the cross. He finished the work of salvation in order that you, a guilty sinner, if you repent of your sin, you will be saved through him and through him alone. But you've got to come. You've got to come. Don't go away without Christ tonight. Don't leave this house, this building, until it's well with your soul. Put it right tonight. You may never get another opportunity. For he that being often reproved, hardening his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Come to Christ, friend. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank thee once again for a sense of the divine presence. <coughs> we pray now that it will please thee as man's voice grows cold and silent. That which has been of the flesh falls to the ground and dies and perishes. Only that which is of thy spirit cause it to live. Back home the word. Burn it in. Bless it to every soul. The ministry, Lord, in song. The preaching of thy word. The reading of Holy Scripture. Be pleased to use these means of grace to save the lost, to restore the backslidden, to edify the church, and, Father, to glorify thy Son. Part us in thy fear and with thy favour now and watch over us this incoming week. Bless the activities of this house and various gospel meetings. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.